It is estimated that two out of every 10 children will experience some form of mental illness before age 18. These children are vulnerable to delays in impairments in social, emotional, and academic development. And of course, there are concerns for their health status as adults as well. But what of the 80% of children who do not experience mental illness before adulthood? Can we presume that they are mentally healthy and therefore high-functioning in all areas of development? The mental health of America's youth will be the topic of this clinician's roundtable on Reach MD XM233. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Atlanta is my guest, Dr. Corey Keyes. Dr. Keyes is a professor of sociology at Emory University in Atlanta, where he holds a joint appointment in the Rollins School of Public Health and is an adjunct professor of psychology. Welcome, Dr. Keyes. Thank you for having me. Dr. Keyes, 20% of young people experience mental illness before adulthood. That's a high number. What kinds of diagnoses are most common? Well, the most common diagnoses tend to be anxiety disorders followed closely by depression. And can you talk to us about the effects of uh, mental illness on other areas of development for children? Yes, it's very important. In fact, um, something of, of great importance to society, of course, is that having these students stay in, in high school and finish it, as well as not only finishing it but being successful. It turns out that mental illness is a pretty serious risk factor for disturbing the student's normal course of success in high school, as well as middle school. So these students have a high risk of dropout, or if they don't drop out, they do not do as well in terms of grade averages. There also have to be some social ramifications. Yes. In part, what happens is that this is often meant that being anxiety disorders and depression are often comorbid or may lead to alcohol abuse as well as other substance abuse. So what happens is that these kids get involved in groups of children who are marginalized uh, in their schools because they use drugs or substance abuse, and this often leads to, shall we say, informal labeling of these children as outsiders or deviants, or as some we used to call them back in high school, burnouts. Mm -hmm. So it can really marginalize these kids. You've pointed out that we cannot presume that just because some children aren't diagnosed with a mental illness, that those children are mentally healthy. What is your definition of a mentally healthy adolescent? Uh, a mentally healthy adolescent is someone I would call a kid that's flourishing in life. And these kids say that typically in the past month, Almost every day or every day they've experienced happiness or interest in life or they were satisfied with life. Plus, they tend to say that almost every day or every day they felt some combination of the following symptoms. They, had, they were accepting of themselves. They felt a sense of personal growth. They felt a purpose in life. They felt a, a degree of autonomy, which is a sense that they could make decisions according to their own standards and values, which is important to kids. Um, they also may have felt a sense of environmental mastery, socially integrated, a sense of social contribution, and so forth. In other words, these kids feel good about the life that they're living, plus they see themselves functioning well, both socially and psychologically. Do you look for different markers for mental health in adolescents versus adults? Well, no. It turns out we've done that research, and we used to think, we researchers, had some, what the belief that I, I, I call the happy kid hypothesis that everything came down to a child being happy, which is important. But it turns out that kids 
at least between the ages of 12 and 18 in our study, use other criteria. And it turns out they use the same criteria that adults use. So we tested whether those dimensions or signs of mental health that we use in adults fit or apply to kids. And it turns out the same 13 apply to youth that also apply to adults. So in other words, it's more than happiness. Kids are thinking about, am I functioning well personally and socially? Right. And some kids are flourishing, uh, some kids languishing. And then what what are the kids in between? Well, for lack of a better word, we call those kids moderately mentally healthy. But this distinction, flourishing, moderate mental health or languishing is very important. It's just, it's not simply a matter of whether these children are have an anxiety disorder or depression. There are quite a few kids who don't have a mental disorder but fit the criteria for languishing, which is the absence of mental health. And what we found is that anything less than flourishing, and that is moderate mental health and languishing, puts these kids at serious risk for conduct disorders. Is this a state? Is this something that um, will change over time in individuals? Or is it more of a trait that some people... This is how they see the world, and this is how they go through life, either flourishing or languishing. Yes. Well, that's a very good question, and my colleagues have challenged me on that, and I believe the data are coming in and suggesting that this is more of a state, which is to say that it's very dynamic. It does change over time. Just for, uh, for instance, in, a, in our study of adolescence, which was a national study, the kids who were in middle school, it was the only time in, in the entire lifespan that I could find where over half of the population was flourishing. That is to say, middle school kids between the ages of 12 and 14, most of them were flourishing. But then when we compared them to the high school kids who were just just a couple years older, we had already lost 10% of those kids. So 10% fewer kids in in high school are flourishing than in the middle school group. So that suggested that we may be losing up to 10% of flourishing kids already once they hit high school And we know that from our other studies of adults, it plummets to barely 20% in adulthood. So there's something going on between high school and the start of adulthood where we lose a lot of flourishing in our country. So in middle school, the children, many children are flourishing, but you see this steady decline as adulthood approaches of flourishing. There's a, a, a dramatic transition between life as a middle school student and life as a high school student. And theorists who study child development characterize it something like this, right? So when you're in middle school, you get to stay in the same classroom with the same teacher, with the same student. You've developed a very tight-knit community, um, and, and your entire schedule is fixed, so to speak. You don't have to choose what courses to take. But suddenly, kids are thrust, often not prepared, they're thrust into high school where they have to they have greater independence, and we expect, expect this of them. So they have to choose their schedule. They have more options. They don't spend their entire day with one teacher. They spend it with many. They don't have the same tight-knit group of kids that they spend the entire day with. And it proves to be a very difficult transition for uh, uh, about 10 to 20% of kids. Mm-hmm. They're not ready for all of that autonomy or, or independence. And it becomes a stressor for them. 
interesting. I was thinking about asking, what could you do to promote positive development and resilience in these young people? But as I'm listening, I'm also thinking, well, maybe that's the old approach that I'm that that, that forms my thinking. Maybe it needs to be what is what needs to be changed in the environment of these children to keep them flourishing instead of um, acting after the fact to help them to. Uh, to change that. Well, it's interesting you have that reaction because as a sociologist, it's quite natural for me to think first and foremost, well, what about the context in which these kids live? Or what about our environments? Are our environments and our context healthy and should they be treated if we see a lot of kids, shall we say, less than flourishing or a lot of adults who aren't flourishing? Our usual approach is to think first and foremost and immediately to treat the individuals. I understand that and I think that's important, but I sometimes think like you, I We need to step back and ask ourselves, could we change the way we live? Could we change the way we teach these kids? And the answer is unequivocally yes, if we want to. And if we begin to think about flourishing as the thing that we want to promote, I think our institutions, such as education, will look a little different. And what would you see as the role of the clinician with regard to this work? Well, a clinician, and by clinician, I mean you probably, I'm assuming you mean doctors and psychotherapists and yes, psychiatrists. Yes, healthcare professionals. Yes. As I see it, they, they are well-trained and have all the tools for treating what I might call broken-down kids and adults, those, those people who have a mental disorder. Um, there are many effective therapies, none of which cure mental illness, by the way, but they are very palliative and they help a lot of people. We will always need clinicians in this regard to help, because there will always be mental illness. My point, however, is we could be doing a lot more to prevent mental illness by promoting mental health. And that is something where I would like to see the healthcare system get involved with. Should we be assessing the level of mental health in our young patients who are not showing symptoms of mental illness? Yes, because we know that anything less and flourishing is associated with worse outcomes, suggesting there is a a sliding off, so to speak, that when kids begin to lose their mental health, it's a sign that something's going wrong. And we could intervene a lot earlier than before a kid becomes full-blown in terms of anxiety or depression. So it's just a, it's a, shall we call it, it's sort of like the canary in the coal mine. It begins to tell us that something isn't healthy in the environment and that we need to act now before things get worse. So this isn't um, kind of a normal curve thing that's to be expected, that certain people will fall on either end of the spectrum and that um, just observing this is enough. This is something that you see as um, necessary to address. Yes. Well, yes, it's necessary in the sense that if you see that Middle school is the only time where more than over half. It's the only time in the lifespan where over half are flourishing, and we begin to lose it very early in the uh, the adult lifespan. It strikes me as we could we need as a nation to be caring a lot more about our young people, not just kids, but young adults and families and people who are trying to start a career, a relationship, and a family. So the problem is that we really do take the good things in our life, mental health, for granted. Yet it's probably one of the most powerful protective factors for all the things we don't want in our life, like depression and anxiety. So it seems ludicrous to me as a public health person that we don't invest more 
and taking care of that as a community. It, you're calling for a new tradition, though. Um, yes, but it's not terribly new in the sense that we've known that prevention is something that we can do in this country. There's a plenty of studies showing that if we target interventions at kids who live in what we might call at-risk lives or communities, such as they're growing up with a, in a single-headed household with a family who lives below the poverty threshold. If we invest early in their lives, we can change their lives for the better. They make it through school, they do better. Some of them go on to college, but most of the time they have stable adult relationships, they have good work, and they're taxpayers. So it's not that new in the sense that we know prevention works. What's new about it is if we took health serious as something positive, perhaps we could do more to prevent than just focusing it on things that cause risk for disease and illness. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for today's medical professional. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Corey Keyes, professor of sociology at Emory University. Thank you, Dr. Keyes. Thank you for having me. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.